invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 8 as we continue our series through Luke. We'll be looking at verses 26 all the way through verse 39. So that's Luke chapter 8, 26 to 39. Hear God's word. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite of Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell before him, saying and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the God, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles. But he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said, Legion. For many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him to let them enter into these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and he heard the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, he fled and told it to the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what would happen, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed, and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The men from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. So far the reading of God's word. Dear congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, what would be your reaction to the events that Luke has recorded for us? You've heard sermons on Jesus healing a centurion servant. He raises a widow's son. Christ helped many people from many different afflictions in front of John's disciples. He calmed a storm that terrified even the most veteran fishermen. And now he heals a man possessed by many demons. What is your reaction to all these events that have taken place? So our text this morning highlights very different reactions. 
And our theme this morning as we examine Scripture is the reaction to Jesus Christ's authority over spiritual forces. We'll look at this at three points, from the demons, from the crowds, and from the healed man. So having just calmed the store, the boat arrives at its destination, Gerasene. And Jesus steps off the boat, and he is met with another obstacle, a man filled with a demon. Now, who is this man who sought out Jesus, meeting him as he stepped off of dry land? He is a man who has been afflicted for a very long time. A fragment of a man, broken and possessed by many demons. We see his humiliation, living naked, not clothed, on full display for everyone to see. He's a recluse, living in tombs, surrounded by the sight and smell of of death. He is subject to outside forces controlled by man, kept under guard with chains and shackles, but also governed by demons, driven into the desert. He has the strength to break shackles and chains that bind him, reminding us that the forces of these dark spirits are greater than the chains and shackles of men. I think if you were to look up crazy man in the dictionary, this would be a pretty good starting definition. Now, this man sees Jesus, and under the influence of the demons, he cries out, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. So Jesus commands the unclean spirit to depart from the man. Now, we can wonder why Luke focuses on this particular exorcism. This is not the first one. In Capernaum, Capernaum, Jesus cast out a demon. At Simon's house, he healed many with demons that cried out the same thing, you are a son of God. They confessed similar statements. And Mary Magdalene had seven demons cast out, an exorcism with multiple demons from one host. But there's something unique about this exorcism. Because of the first exorcism in Gentile region illustrating the expanding scope of Jesus Christ's ministry. Remember, John the Baptist was confused. He had a limited and narrow focus of what the ministry of Jesus Christ included. But here, Jesus is in a Gentile region healing another Gentile man. And this exorcism is a little more intense, involving multiple demons possessing just one man, when Jesus asked this man's name, he replies with legion because many demons had entered him. Now, depending on who you ask, many can mean many sorts of things. But if we look a little deeper into his name, a legion was also a group of Roman soldiers and the legion had about 5,000 soldiers within them. Now, the only specifics that we are we have here, that many. And a legion might not paint the picture of anything in our minds today, but for the Jews and Gentiles of this time in history, no doubt there would have produced a picture of a multitude of demons. So before the demons can wreak more havoc on this man, Jesus commands the demons to come out of this man. And Jesus' encounter is unique because we can glean a little bit more insight the life of these demons. First, we see that the demons know things. They know about a place called the abyss. And it is a place that they do not want 
to go. Why? What is this place? Now, scholars engage in some debate as to where this place might be, but it likely refers to abode of the dead, a place where demons or disobedient spirits are kept. Other similar places will be Hades or Gehenna, other places of death. And next, they know who Jesus Christ is, that he is the son of the most high God. And this verse illustrates for us what James explains, that even the demons believe, yet they shudder. And they shudder because they know that Jesus has the authority and the power to torment them. The power and the authority to conflict judgment upon the demons. See, the demons know that they are in a bad spot. Because even though they have the numbers, they do not have the power. They have to beg Jesus Christ three times not to be tormented, not to go into the abyss, and that they could enter into the pigs. See, Christ has authority over spiritual forces. So the demons have to beg. And Jesus has to give them permission before they act. Look at the greatness of your Lord. Marvel at his power and authority. Demons who break chains and drives men into the desert are subservient to Jesus Christ. The power of a multitude of demons is powerless against your God and your Savior. It's a comforting thought. See, demons need permission before they are able to act. They're not on a rogue mission doing whatever they please. They serve the purpose of God. And we're reminded again of Job chapter 1, 8 through 12, where Satan could do no more than what God allowed him. Satan and all those who operate under him still need permission and are constrained to the parameters of their work. And what about your afflictions then? And although you're afflicted in every way, you're not crushed, you're not struck down, you're not forsaken. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. See, there's purpose to his plan. Because God is sovereign over everything. Everything serves his will and his purposes. See, and lastly, we see that Satan's cronies are not that smart. Satan's minion, these demons, did not want to serve Christ, nor did they want to receive any benefits from him. They did not be saved, only that they would not be tormented. They wanted nothing to do with Jesus Christ. They recognized the power and are afraid to be close to him. So they asked to enter the pigs, and permission is given. Now, does this illustrate their love for all of things that are unclean? Tombs and the stench and sight of death? But also pigs, remember, under the Old Testament law, they were an unclean animal. Deuteronomy 14.8 reads, And the pig, because of its parts, the hoof, but does not chew the cud, is unclean for you. Their flesh you shall not eat, and the carcass you shall not touch. The animal was unclean for even the Jews to touch. See, the demons' love for filth And it narrowed their focus and made them no longer be service in Satan's kingdom. 
And as pigs run into the sea and drowned, now if the abyss is a place where the spirits, where the death of the spirits, it could be safe to assume that they went where they did not want to be, no longer serving Satan in the kingdom of darkness, creating havoc. Now your flesh can persuade you to choose sin over service. Temptation comes when you would rather focus on yourself and the passions of your flesh, giving in to the passions instead of laboring to rule over them, trying to put your flesh under submission, trying instead of ruling over it. See, when you engage with what is unclean and an enmity with God, doesn't that narrow your focus? Making you less effective in the kingdom of God, a focus that takes your eyes off Christ and the work that he has given us to do. See, service to Christ is far greater than the lust of sin. It will always be beneficial and rewarding when you choose your Savior over the scum of sin. See, Jesus grants the demon's request, and they enter into the pigs, and there's a sudden swine suicide. And the death of the herd of the pigs should be a reminder to us that there's a cost to purging evil. Now, you may feel like you have nothing to do with the demon-possessed man, but you were naked and you were exposed, controlled by a sinful nature, and there was a great cost at purging the evil from you. It cost Jesus Christ his life. It cost your Lord the emptying of all his riches and becoming poor for your sake, the humiliation of being born, born under the demands of the law and the demand to keep it perfectly, the cost of the suffering that Christ endured, the hunger, the fatigue, a fatigue so great that a raging storm, a storm that scared the even most veteran fishermen could not wake him. And there's the temptations of Satan. And as you choose sin over suffering every single time, you do not know the full arsenal of sin, yet the Lord endured the full weight of your sins the full weight of temptations, and he did this for you. Jesus Christ also deals with the demands from the people. Christ just stepped off the boat, and here's a man that needs help. Crowds surrounded him, wanting relief from their infirmities. Also, the humiliation of having all your sins imputed to him, the spotless lamb, the lamb who knew no sin, who knew what it meant to be pure, with no defilement, became dirty and saturated with the putridness of sin, a stench that would sting his nostrils. He became all the vile and foul sins of his bride. And suffering on the cross and dying a death that you deserved, having the wrath of the Father poured out upon him, the heat and the indignation that was reserved for you was placed upon him. See, death was required to purge the evil of sin from you. Because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And this is the great cost required to purge the evil from you. See, it almost seems trivial that by the power of the Spirit, Christ purged the evil from this demon-possessed man. But it was a lifetime of suffering for you, a lifetime of suffering for you 
that was required to purge the sin from you. So your eyes need to see how severe sin is. That it took your Lord's whole life to atone for the evils of sin. That there were no breaks. There's no summer vacations. No days off from his devotion to meeting the demands that require a spotless sacrifice to purge the evil from within you. It took his whole life. Sin is that vicious. It's not something you spray and wash and throw in the laundry and now it's clean again. No, it it penetrates deep down into your bones. And only a life of suffering that resulted in perfection can remove that guilt of sin. See the gravity and the weight of sin. Run from it. Run to Christ. Now the response from the demons is one that we would expect. They want nothing to do with Jesus Christ. What about these pig herders and all the others who might have witnessed this healed man and this herd of pigs run down into this bank and drown? What a a spectacle this might have been for the pig herders too. What do you think entered their minds first? Nobody is going to believe me? Or how are we going to recover from this? How far do you think their jaw dropped when they saw all their livelihood rush off? Now, did they even try to stop them? See, it's safe to say that more than one person would have seen this event. The disciples might have still been in the boat. There was more than one tending the flock, and the immediate response was to go to tell as many people as they could. They entered the city and spread the news in the country. They're working fast, and you can imagine the circulation of the rumors that might start creating crowds that come to investigate and see Jesus and the man that just has been healed. What did they go out to see? A dramatic transformation. And as the crowds approached Jesus, what expectations expectations do you think they had? Did they know who Jesus was and what he was capable capable of? What did they think healed meant? Maybe even doubts thinking it was a tall tale. Surely this is not the same demon-possessed man. And imagine the picture of this demon-possessed man. A man, as they journeyed to see him, finally, when they get there, they see a man who had many demons and now has none. A naked man who's now clothed. A roaming madman who cried out with loud voices, now sitting quietly at the feet of Jesus just content. Instead of seeking isolation, now associating with others. Whose jaw do you think dropped further? The pig herders who watched their livelihood run down the bank and drown themselves, or this crowd seeing this man healed from demon possession, a complete 180 transformation. Seeing the transformation and the talk amongst the crowds, it created It created and produced fear in the crowds. Luke mentions it twice, emphasizing the collective thought of the crowd. And this is not a small group, but the text says in verse 37 that the group was from the surrounding country of the Gerasenes. The ministry of Jesus Christ caused quite the stir, and this crowd collectively feared Jesus. This fear that the crowd 
had was not a healthy fear, a fear that produced reverence and repentance, a fear that drives you to your knees confessing your iniquities and acknowledging that he is your king and that he is your Lord. This is not that kind of fear. Instead, the crowds were seized with fear, want nothing to do with Jesus. And they ask him to leave. And why is a pretty good question to ask right here. Why did they ask him to leave and not stay and heal others? They would have seen this incredible transformation. There had to be more who needed that kind of aid. Or was the whole region scared of what Christ would do to the swine sales? Did they fear divine accountability and rather be left to their own to fend for themselves? Now, regardless of the reason, it's evident that they did not want to be close to Jesus Christ. Another weakness of our sinful disposition. See, as the crowds witnessed a great healing, a man who for a long time had great suffering, they were so concerned with their own lives that they did not appreciate this healed man who now sits at the feet of Christ. See, God was at work in the crowds responding like nothing ever happened. There was no gratitude or thankfulness, just the request to depart. See, do you see the work of God in the lives of the Christians around you and fail to acknowledge God? Absorbed with yourself, maybe having questions about why this could not why this could happen to you, and act like nothing has happened. Disinterested in sharing their happiness, not wanting to be around them because you're too focused on yourself. Well, the question can be turned inwardly and asked: Do you see the work of the God in your life and act if nothing's happened? Is your self-righteous muting the work of God so that you can cry out in gratitude to your own work? Would you rather work independently of Jesus Christ instead of him working in you? Because this way you receive all the glory. Glory of a stain-covered work, proud of the polluted garment that you've created. Brothers and sisters, a great miracle has taken place in your life. Your Savior has accomplished on the cross what you were unable to attain for yourself. And just as this demon-filled man was unable to heal himself, God had mercy on each and every one of you, showing his love for you, that he gave you Jesus, your Savior. It's a 180-degree transformation from being naked and exposed to the wrath of the Father to being clothed with the righteousness of Christ, your Savior. Do not be like the demons or the crowds who cast Christ away wanting nothing to do with him because he will depart from you if you want him to. But only judgment and wrath await that decision. Rather come to him. Be seized with the love of your Savior and sit at his feet and wonder. Now through the text we have seen two improper responses to the authority of Jesus Christ over spiritual forces. But now we have seen a healed man and his proper reaction. See, instead of this demon-filled man wanting nothing to do with Jesus Christ, now he's comfortable with him. The work of Christ's ministry produces change in people. And with such a remake of this man's life as he is clothed and in his right mind, what is the response of this healed man? 
He begs to be with Jesus Christ. It's an incredible response if you think of all the things that this man has endured. He did not dwell on the things that he suffered. He begged to be with his Savior. And Jesus gives him an answer that the healed man probably did not expect. And interestingly, the begging of the unrighteous was answered by Jesus. They were given what they wanted. But the plea of this man who had been healed was not fulfilled. See, Jesus had other plans for this man. He says, return home and declare how much God has done for you. So sometimes when God says no, it just means that he has other plans for you. And we get to see another side of his transformation, the resilience of this man. As he has denied the request of his heart from Jesus, he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. There's no pity party, just obedience to the one who delivered him. See, there's more than one way to serve Jesus Christ. For this man, his place was serving Christ right where he was. See, some travel with Jesus away from their hometown and others remain just where they are and declare how much God has done for them. See, Jesus sends this homegrown evangelist back into their midst to testify to them, which is striking. Because even as the crowds want to escape Jesus and have him leave their presence, even as Jesus departs their country, he still leaves his presence there in the form of this new evangelist. And the new evangelist worked hard at his task. As the Greek behind the word declared illustrates that this man did and went about his task fervently, reminding them that they cannot escape Jesus Christ. Dear congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the question I have is difficult to ask, but it's something that we all need to wrestle with. Are you begging Christ to leave you alone? Or are you begging to be with Christ? There's no such thing as a halfway Christian. You are either in Christ or you're outside. You either cling to Jesus Christ or you push Christ away. Do you want Jesus Christ to depart or do you want to be with Christ? And if he alters your plans and sends you away to serve his purposes, are you happily going? Now may you rely on Christ alone as you wrestle with these questions. And may you come to realize that you want Jesus Christ or nothing at all. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you Acknowledging, Lord, that there's a choice. That we can sit at the feet of Christ or that we can ask him to depart. And as we've seen in our text, Lord, he answers both. 
And then we ask to sit at the feet of cross he, Christ, he might give us work to do to serve her his purposes. And may we respond with a heart that wants nothing more than to serve Christ and a mind that knows nothing more than Christ and him crucified. Lord, cultivate in us a heart to continue to do the will of Christ that we want nothing more to be with our faithful Savior. And may we never, ever ask for Christ to depart. It's through his name that we pray all these things. Amen.